Good morning again to everyone. Thank you, Brother Earl. When we walk in the light, God reveals not only himself, but who we are. And I know you've all heard this, but isn't it amazing when you're driving away from the sun and you think your windshield is clear and you're, you're, you're driving along and you can see and you make a couple turns and you head back toward the sun and the light hits your windshield and, and you just saw all the bugs that you couldn't see before. You didn't know they were there. I mean, there was fog there. There was a little bit of oily mist over the windshield. I, I marveled that I could even see before. And isn't that the way it is when we come to the Lord? We marvel at, at who we were before. And so may God have His way in our midst this morning. We greet you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So much power in that name. <clears throat> we look to Him. We have such a desire to be faithful in the kingdom of God. For all of us to prosper in His will. And that we could bring Him glory and learn to trust Him and walk with our Lord. And we know for that to happen, we need to continually examine our hearts, do we not? Self-examination of our life, because the flesh is always rising up. It just seems, and we know it's impossible for the flesh to be all that God wants us to be. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. So I trust this morning will be a blessing. <clears throat> the subject I would like to bring today is I would like to consider fruit. Bearing fruit, bearing much fruit, and examine the fruit of our life. This is kind of like a, a self-examination. What kind of fruit is my life producing? If I were a fruit tree, what would my fruit be like? What would it look like? If someone picked my fruit and took a bite, what would it taste like? Would it look good, but then the taste would be bitter? Would it be shriveled, or would it be sweet? Would it be an invitation to witness for the Lord and make the Lord look beautiful? You know, sometimes we need to let other people examine the fruit of our life, and then speak into our life. Sometimes if others see a need in our life by the fruit that we are bearing, some bitterness, maybe some withering there, we can't just declare that, no, our fruit is sweet because I'm in Christ. We, we need to examine the fruit of our lives. Jesus did not say that by what they declare, you will know them. He said, by their fruits, you will know them. That's very convicting to me. I believe that's why David said, search me, O God, and know my heart. You try me, Father, and see if there be any wicked way in me. In other words, look at my fruit and lead me in the way everlasting. I believe that we all need to come there and so tonight, this morning, let's take a look at our fruit. The title that I would like to have for our message this morning is Chosen. To me, that's a very special word. Chosen and 
ordained very special words there chosen and ordained to bear fruit that's a pretty strong statement I kind of forgot that the Bible made it that strong in the commandment for us to bear fruit chosen and ordained to bear fruit that's a scriptural phrase that we're going to look at and you know when we're chosen that's kind of a special thing isn't it we've all been chosen for something sometime maybe you were playing a game and somebody chose you to be on their team they wanted to to be alongside you so it's a special thing to be chosen maybe you were chosen maybe there's a wedding coming up and and you're chosen to serve at the wedding it's just a it's an honor to be chosen maybe maybe you're maybe it's your wedding maybe you're the one that were chosen well that's really special well in this capacity it is God who made a choice and I want to say this to each one of us God chose you to walk with him for a special purpose he chose you and ordained you think of that chosen is one thing but ordained that's an added capacity i mean you're just who you are and you're chosen but when you're ordained this is a bestowing upon you of extra grace a bestowing of greater strength a bestowing of deeper trust and it's a giving of authority and of gifts upon you it's something that you weren't born with this is an added bestowing upon your life i think of the words of uh, there in timothy where paul said Neglect not the gift that is in thee that was given thee by the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. You weren't born with this gift. This thing came through the laying on of hands and the bestowing of God upon you who were chosen. And so I want each one of us to see ourselves chosen and ordained to bear fruit. It's a high calling. It's a very very special calling. That's the burden that we have this morning. We would like to examine the fruit of our lives before God from God's perspective. We want to have God's opinion of our fruit. We don't want to tell others what we have found looking at our fruit. I mean there's a time for confession and there's a time to make things right, but we want God's opinion. That's what we want to go on this morning. I don't want to look at our situation that we're in. Many times we try to justify something less than good fruit because of the situation that we're in, but I I want to th- tell you I think this would be God's heart. God looks beyond your situation to the fruit that you're bearing even in the situation that God has allowed you to be in. We're called to bear fruit. We're not just called to bear fruit when everything goes well and so we can smile. We're called to bear fruit in every situation in life. <clears throat> What does God see when he looks at my life? 
at my heart <clears throat> to this calling that is upon us to bear much fruit. I want to say something here. I want to say several things here. But I want to think about fruit for just a minute. Fruit, <clears throat> when you examine the fruit of your life, or when you examine the fruit of someone else's life, you are not looking at their heart. Are you? I mean, fruit is on the outside. That's just where fruit is. The heart is on the inside. When you're examining fruit, you are not examining the heart. Fruit is on the outside. <clears throat> but when you examine fruit... You are learning everything there is to learn about the heart. Because they are connected. You're getting to understand everything that is in the heart and you're not even looking at it. You're examining the fruit. I'm not putting down the heart. I'm just giving some insight here. I'm lifting up the heart. I'm connecting the fruit to the heart. We are living in an age when people around us declare, Christianity declares, that you cannot judge me by the outside because God looks at my heart. Isn't that something that we hear in the world around us? But I don't believe that's true. Because Jesus said, by their fruits you will know them. You know, I don't think we should be afraid of the formula that Jesus gave us to make righteous judgment. He said, by their fruit, ye shall know them. I don't think we should be afraid of that formula. When I look at you, when I look at someone, I cannot see your heart. I, I can't see it. I don't know what's in there. But it manifests itself by the fruit. It's on display. Right there on the outside. That's what fruit is. We can look at the fruit and we can make a judgment. And it's accurate because Jesus said so. Jesus said that a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. A good person, a good heart cannot produce evil fruit. And I, I know, we know that doesn't mean that a good person will never make a mistake and there'll never be a problem there. But just the overall picture, a good person doesn't produce bad fruit. And he also said on the other side that an evil tree cannot produce good fruit. An evil person, a wretched person, a vile person, they're not going to produce good fruit. I'm not saying they're never going to do something right somewhere, but basically an evil person doesn't produce good fruit. We can put our heart into that because that's the teachings of Jesus. It just doesn't happen because by their fruits, ye shall know them. <clears throat> you know, and that's the way it was with King Saul. He came back and what did he say? Here, here's an evil tree. Here's a, here's a self-centered man saying, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But what did Samuel do? He looked at the fruit. Then what meaneth this bleeding of sheep in my ears? And so we have our testimony this morning. What does God say about our fruit? It is good to examine our fruit. Let's turn here to the, to the Word of God. Amen. Luke uh, chapter 13. I would like to look here. 
There's a passage of scripture here that I would like to spend a little bit of time at. Luke 13, we're going to look at verses 1 through 9. And we're going to start here looking at uh, the first five verses. Luke chapter 13. <clears throat> it says that there were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now I think this happened, as we read the context here, it kind of comes out that this happened in Jerusalem. There were some people from Jerusalem who were a little bit self-centered on, they were a little more righteous than some of those Galileans. And they came to Jesus and, and they were just kind of really feeling sorry for these Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And they came to Jesus with this little burden and this subject on their heart. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but whenever anyone came to Jesus with a burden about somebody else, a, a problem that they had, it just seems like he just, <laughs> he just started examining their fruit. And that's what he does here. Jesus answering said unto them, <clears throat> Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? He said, I tell you nay, but except you repent. He just brought it right back to them. The Lord does that. And I, I trust that he can do that here this morning. Nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And Jesus just keeps bringing it a little closer home. He just kind of leaves those Galileans. He just brings it right back to Jerusalem. He said, or those 18 up upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them. Think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwell in Jerusalem? Now he's in their own hometown. He says, I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And so these people that came to Jesus, you know, kind of wanting to point out some of the needs of some of these other people, Jesus brings the focus right back upon them. And then from chapter in this chapter from verse 6 through verse 9, he just proceeds to examine the fruit of these people. And so let's read this parable. It's a beautiful little parable. <clears throat> he spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. And he came and sought fruit thereon and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years I come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it and dung it, and if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after that, Thou shalt cut it down. What we see here is the Lord examining this fig tree and he's got a single eye. He's looking for one thing. He's looking for fruit. And it's not just one year. It's not just two years. It's three years he comes. And he says, I, I'm tired of this. Just cut this tree down. And the dresser pleads here for another year. So really, at the most, there's four years given right here. <clears throat> I want us to know this morning, I want us to see ourselves in this parable. Brothers and sisters, 
If we could travel the world over, there are people who have never even heard of the Lord Jesus. They've never experienced a parent who loved them. They've never experienced family life or the blessings of good health. They've never known fellowship that we heard about this morning. They have no idea. I'm just telling us this morning, we are this favored fig tree. This is a favored fig tree. This tree, I tell you, it's planted in a choice place. This thing isn't left by itself out in the desert. It's, it's planted in a place of protection. It's planted in the master's garden. It's planted in good soil. And it's given a keeper. This fig tree has everything a fig tree could possibly have. This, we are this favored fig tree. Don't think we're not. And of whom much is given, much is required. Much fruit. We should bear much fruit. We've been chosen. We've been ordained. There's been an outpouring of grace upon us to bear fruit. And the Lord comes and He finds none. Think of it. <clears throat> I love good soil. I'm from California. We had a lot of emphasis on the soil out there and all the farming that was done. And some of that soil was just a rich Hanford sandy loam, they would call it. It was just, didn't have rocks in it. It was just soft enough you could work with it. And it was firm enough it'd hold the moisture and the nutrients. Well, it was good stuff. It was really a blessing. Certain areas out there. I've thought about the Garden of Eden and the tremendous soil <clears throat> that there must have been out there. But the trees that we tried to raise, some of the fruit trees, I mean, there were some really intelligent husbandmen who knew how to raise fruit trees. It was just impressive. My wife, uh, Twyla, she comes from kind of a line there of husbandmen that I've always been impressed with, more than I myself. But her father, yeah, they lived there in Virginia. You could drive into their place. You could just kind of come in there along that little hillside, and he's got grapes growing right here, I tell you. That man can get more big, sweet grapes out of a vine than, than I knew was possible. It's just amazing. There are men who have that gift. Well, they just know what to do. They know how to fertilize that thing. They know how to prune that thing. They know how to you know, nourish that thing so that it produces in a marvelous way. <clears throat> and her grandfather, Grandpa Grover, that's how he made his living. He, he had about five acres, I think, and it was just full of all different kinds of fruit trees and nuts. And, and he just, he produced them all. He had a little wagon, a little cart out there by a busy road. And he'd just bring things out in a basket and he'd set them there and people would stop. I mean, he was kind of famous, you know, for the fruit, the sweet fruit, the big fruit, the beautiful fruit that he would produce. It was just sitting out there. It was just an invitation. That cart was basically empty, you know, every evening. Grandpa Grover basically got rich on his husbandry of selling fruit. <clears throat> Actually, Grandpa, he read about, he, he, knew how to, he knew how to work with trees. He knew how to graft. 
he knew how to, to take different trees and bring them in and graft them in. We read about that in the Bible. And he read in Revelation about this <clears throat> tree of life that is by the river of life that flows out of the city there in Revelation, you know, and it says it bore 12 manner of fruit. My grandpa, he wanted to have a tree that would bear 12 manner of fruit. <laughs> so he took this peach tree because he knew that peach trees had this <clears throat> paradox root or whatever they call it there, that good kind that could really take the grass. And he, he had this nice peach tree and he, he cut off this limb and, and he grafted in some almonds. <clears throat> And so here comes all this lamb, here comes these almonds. <clears throat> and he cuts off this limb over here and he grafts in apricots. And he grafted in oranges and he grafted in nectarines. And I, and I know he had some figs and he had some plums all on this tree. I, I called my father-in-law and he said, you know, I'm not sure dad ever got to 12 varieties, but, but he got really close. And he, if he didn't, didn't get 12 different kinds, he would different varieties, you know, like on peaches, he'd have one limb of free stones and one, one limb of, uh, what's the other one, the uh, clings. And, and he would have just all, all kinds of fruit. And in the springtime, this tree would bloom. You know, the plums bloom purple and the peaches bloom pink and red and the almonds bloom white to the apricot. It was quite a tree. It was right there by the driveway when you drive in. And I was just thinking about that. You know, if you had... <clears throat> A fruit tree garden, wouldn't you want Grandpa Grover to take care of it? I mean, that thing would be a blessing on your table. It would. Well, this tree that we read about here, this tree had a dresser that knew how to take care of trees. I want to impress us this morning. We are a favored fig tree. <clears throat> And we are in the master's vineyard, in a place of protection, in a place of nourishment. And the master of the vineyard here, it says, The Lord of the vineyard came and sought fruit thereon, and he found none. I want us to know this morning that our God is a patient God. He works with people. He didn't just come one year and say, no fruit, away with this tree. He gave it time. He knew this tree was in a favored place. He knew the ability of this dresser. He had appointed the dresser as well. <clears throat> and so he came back the second year. No fruit, none. And he came back the third year. And I just want to put this out to us. When we are a favored fig tree... When we are in a place of protection, when God has given a dresser, you know, to take care of us and brought authority and fertilizer and water and nourishment into our life, we have been chosen. We have been ordained to bear fruit. And there is a point where if we don't bear fruit, the Lord of the vineyard does say, cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? But God had mercy here, I'm going to say, for three years. And there, are, there may be people here who are, are three years into this thing with still no fruit. 
And many times I want to tell you how man interprets these three years of mercy. Well, he came the first year, he came the second year, he came the third year. He must not mean business, must not be too serious about this thing. And so we interpret, we're going to have mercy for the fourth year, and the fifth year, and the sixth year, and the seven, and eight, nine, ten, I mean, no big thing. That's the way man interprets the mercy that God gives. But I want to tell us this morning, there is a point where judgment comes. And the dresser spoke in behalf of this fig tree. Let me dig about it and dung it. And I tell you, when people try that to people today, I mean, it doesn't go too well. You dig about and dung someone today, I tell you, there's a reaction. But the whole purpose of the whole thing is the mercy of God upon our lives that we could produce fruit. Our God is for us. So I want to consider two questions here this morning. How serious is God that we bear fruit? How serious is He? And I also want to consider what is the fruit that He's looking for? If we have a testimony for the Lord, is that good enough? We are living in an age when much of Christianity declares that yes, we need to bear much fruit. Christians should bear fruit. But even if you don't, your seed remains in you. And you are one of His own. And so how serious is God that we bear fruit? Is it no big deal? We're one of His own? One way or the other? I believe that we can learn from this parable that we read that God is very serious He came seeking fruit. He didn't just come to check up on this fig tree and see how the tree itself was doing. He didn't come to see how big the fig tree had grown, how flourishing it had become. He didn't come to check out its root system. He didn't come to make sure his fig tree was still in his garden, still a part of his garden, make sure it was still where he planted it. A part of his vineyard. He came with a single eye, did he not? That's part of this parable. He came seeking fruit. And it's consistent with the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ when he said, by their fruits, you will know them. I want us to picture ourselves here as this fig tree for just a minute. And here we are. And the Lord comes up to us with a single eye, looking for fruit. And here we are. We know that we are not producing fruit. We know that any fruit we have is shriveled and bitter. And so we're sitting here thinking, here he comes. I hope he's coming to hear my testimony. I have a testimony. I can give a testimony. It's not going to work. We're sitting here thinking, I hope he comes and checks out my root system. I'm on good root stock. I come from, and we've got our list here, of the godly home and the godly heritage that we have. And and, and here we are, and, and we're here, and we hope this will pass. But you know, he doesn't listen to the words that are spoken. He doesn't check out the root system. He may have a word with the keeper. But he has a single eye. 
He is looking for fruit. That's what he's looking for. <clears throat> and you know, the biggest and the prettiest trees are not always the one that bear fruit. I don't know how familiar you are with fruit, but in California we raised nuts. Uh, almonds, we call them. You might call them almonds here, but we raised these almond trees. And it was, just, it was just a blessing. I mean, those things would put on the buds and the limbs would be up here. They'd just be clear full uh, of almonds. And as those things would develop, boy, the old limbs just came down and they would just hang. And I remember in harvest time when we'd shake those trees, they were just hanging with, with fruit. And, and when you'd shake them, they'd just jump right back up and all the fruit would land on the ground. It was kind of an inspiring thing. But there was a certain variety called a mission, and those things would really bear heavy. I mean, they, they would just hang. And uh, some people even propped them some just to help the tree out a little bit. But there was a variety in this mission called a bull mission. And, and it, was a, it was a tree that would just grow like unbelievable. I mean, it would get so big. The leaves on a bull mission were about three times as big as the leaves on a, on a heavy fruit-bearing mission. And it was just big leaves, tremendous shade tree. The birds loved them. I mean, those things grew, and you could just spot them. They would just grow three, four times as big and as fast. And I just want to tell, ask you this morning, and I'm sure whether you've raised almonds or not, let me ask you this question. What does a farmer do when he's planted a row of mission trees and he sees two or three that are just really, really big. What's he going to do? Well, he's going to check it out. A big tree can bear a lot of fruit. But when you check out these bull missions, they don't bear fruit. That's why they grow. I mean, those things just put all their everything that you give them into who they are. And they just get big. And they're just nothing but a shade tree. What is a farmer going to do when he has a bull mission? He's going to cut it down. He, he's going to cut it down and plant another one. And I think we see a little bit of the heart of God coming out here. God wants fruit. And there's a point where cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? It's stealing all the nutrients from those who do bear fruit. Without any production. Think of it. <clears throat> God wants fruit. Why don't we turn and read here in John chapter 15. And I know we know this is the chapter about producing fruit. But this is a little different perspective. This gives us a little different insight. <clears throat> John chapter 15 here. <clears throat> little different analogy here. No longer are we the, the tree... Jesus Christ is the vine here. God himself is the husbandman. And we are the branches. Little different analogy, but the focus is exactly the same. He wants fruit. He does. That's what his goal is here. Let's read here just a little bit here. I am the vine and my father is the husbandman. We've just stepped up from Grandpa Grover here. Many, many steps up. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Look at the judgment that comes when we don't bear fruit. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it or pruneth it, 
There's a cutting back. But it's not to damage us. It's that it may bring forth more fruit. That's the whole purpose. The focus, God wants fruit. There's a witness that comes out of fruit. And God wants fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. It's a little bit more of an intimate uh, analogy here, but we know this is true. Jesus said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. I want you to think about this. This, this fire right here. We're, we're looking at a fire here in verse 6. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch. Also, up in here in verse 2, every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. These branches are taken away and cast into the fire and they are burned. I want you to know that there are different kinds of fire in the Bible. There is a cleansing fire. There is a purifying fire. This would be more parallel to what we read there in Luke 13 about dig about it and dung it and give it another year. It's a purifying, it's an effort to, to bring production. But this fire here is a consuming fire. This branch that will not bear fruit, this branch that is withered, is cast into the fire and they are burned. There is a point of judgment when we are when we don't bear fruit, that is a consuming fire. It's a judgment fire. That seems very sobering to me here because of the calling that is laid upon us. Verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will and it shall be done unto you. And I think it's so beautiful. Here, if our lives bear fruit, if God comes and just says, Amen, to the fruit that we are bearing, it's not just a compliment, a nice fruit. Look what happens. If, this, if you're bearing fruit, you're going to be able to ask what you will, and it's going to be done for you. I mean, God comes alongside, and we can't afford to have our prayers hindered, brothers and sisters. We're living in an age, we're living in a time when our homes cannot afford a hindrance to our prayers. We're living in an age where we can't afford to be cast into a fire and burned. We have a witness. We have a calling. We've been chosen. There's, there's work to be done. There's fruit to be born. Verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. And I like this verse. <clears throat> doesn't say... Herein, you'll get lots of glory for the fruit that you bear. No, the glory goes to God because we are in Him. We abide in Him. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, 
even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. I, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but when Jesus is teaching something, He uses a natural illustration here, the vine and the branches and the fruit. And then He just starts to kind of move a little bit into explaining what He's really talking about. Bearing fruit here. It's keeping His commandments. It's, it's bringing glory to the Father. I, I mean, it, it's not God's calling upon us that we all raise fruit trees. He has a point. He has a lesson that he's trying to teach here. And he says in verse 10, If you keep my commandments, this is what I'm talking about. If you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandment, I gave you an example, and abide in his love. This is the message that we need to get. This is the fruit that we need to bear. Obedience. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Here it is again, Brother Earl. You read that this morning. I write these things unto you that your joy may be full. Amen. God wants our joy to be full. He wants us to be fulfilled. He wants us to be blessed. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy, my joy, might remain in you and that your joy might be full. That's part of the fruit. A joyful life. Not because of the situation we're in, but because of the vine that we're in. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Look at this thing just keeps growing here. Keep my commandments. And now, now we need to love one another. This thing is just getting big. This thing is encompassing us. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Beautiful fruit, this kind of love. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. There's that if again, Brother Earl. <clears throat> Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. And look at this, and here's the text that we have, it's so beautiful. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatsoever you ask of my Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you that you love one another. These, these, these are the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ, and therefore us individually, therefore our homes, therefore our marriages, therefore our fellowships, therefore our witness, fruit. We've been chosen. I have chosen you. We read it. It's a beautiful passage. And ordained you. In other words, God says, like, like the vine dresser, there's just an outpouring of grace. There's an outpouring of Authority and power that is bigger than any situation that we can be in. Isn't that right? I mean, some people say, I, you know, if you knew <clears throat> my situation, you would understand why maybe the fruit's a little shriveled. Under the circumstances I'm in, 
and under the circumstances, <laughs> you know, if that's where you are, brother or sister, what are you doing under there in the first place? <laughs> Why don't you get out from under there and uh, you know, connect with the Lord Jesus? Actually, there may be uh, uh, something to consider here. Maybe you're under those circumstances. Maybe God placed you there. Maybe it's God's will that you should be there. You know, that, that's written there. I, I forget how that wording is, but after ye have suffered a while that he would establish, strengthen, settle you. Maybe, maybe there's a time when we are under the circumstances. What a beautiful place to bear fruit. It's not a good place to come up with an excuse not to. Probably your fruit will shine brighter and have a greater witness if it comes out from under the circumstances than if everything is going well. Amen. <clears throat> and with this calling that is upon us, chosen and ordained that ye should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. You know, I, I just think it's beautiful when there's a witness or there's a testimony that just keeps on going. I read of a little church in Virginia, and there's kind of some activity now in the South and different areas to tear down all the statues of the Civil War and of the South, and you know, just take down and burn all those statues of Robert E. Lee and all the men that are still kind of exalted in the South some. <clears throat> and they went to one of these churches in Virginia, and on the, the stained glass windows in this church, it's all black church, there's a there's one of those windows has a, an image of Stonewall Jackson riding his horse. And you think, what's that doing on a church window? But they were asked to just get rid of that window because that statue needs to come down. And this church rose up and said, that is on there for a reason. And they said, what is the reason? We don't honor the South. And they said, we're not honoring the South. But we remember Stonewall Jackson. And I don't know anything about this, but what the story said is that most slave owners back, you know, before the Civil War, they didn't let their slaves learn to read. They, they put them down. They were put down. Stonewall Jackson was, I think, the only one or one of very few who educated his slaves. And he wanted them to go to church. He treated them like people. He knew they had an eternal soul. And he, he taught them how to read. He, taught, he brought them to church. No one else did that. And in this area, they put that window in this church just in honor of that memory. I mean, I think they were worshiping the Lord, but that was just a special memory to them. That looks like fruit that remains to me. And they were granted the privilege to keep it. It was not a symbol to them of the South. And to me, that's just kind of a, an illustration that our fruit should remain. When, when we do good, people are moved. There's a witness in it. I believe that there is. <clears throat> in Hosea chapter 14, verse 8, there's a little phrase in there. You don't need to turn there, but it just says this. God says, from me is thy fruit found. And that's beautiful. The witness that goes out from our life is just God within us. It's just us abiding in Him. 
<clears throat> I would like to turn, let's do turn to Matthew chapter 7. This is the Sermon on the Mount. It's just such a beautiful passage. I, 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 I just love to read the Sermon on the Mount. It's just Jesus kind of coming in here, bringing in some new teaching. It's just higher ground. He was teaching things that they'd never even heard of. And that's what Jesus kept saying. You've heard it this way all your life, but I say unto you. And he just took the standard and up it goes. And so I, I trust that that's our heart too. I mean, we may have been raised out there in the world. We may have been raised with some kind of, you know, theology or doctrine out there. But hey, let's get in the word. We, we've been raised a certain way, but I say unto you, you know, and that's fruit. That's beautiful. That's what Jesus did. In Matthew chapter 7, let's read verses 16 through 20. It says here, ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit... Look at the judgment that comes here. I just marvel. It seems like this thing comes in everywhere fruit is mentioned. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the destroying fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Let's just turn over here to chapter 12. A couple of pages. Verse 33 goes like this. Either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by his fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart Bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Let's think about words for just a minute. And look down here in verse 34, O generation of vipers, Jesus said, How can ye, being evil, speak? That's words. Good things. Words are fruit. Words are on the outside. They, they come out. They're out here. You can hear them. You can see them as it were. And where do they come from? Out of the abundance of the heart here, it says, the mouth speaketh. Look at the connection of that which is on the outside to that which is on the inside. It's just like out it comes. It's just on display out here. And Jesus said, we can judge a person by their fruit, by the things that are on the outside. Now I want us to know, <clears throat> fruit will never rise above the condition of the heart. You'll never have better fruit than what is in the heart. But a heart is never better than the condition of the fruit. We need to get a hold of that. I, and I've heard it said many, many times. I know this person has problems. I know that they're, you know... They're really not living for the Lord at all. But they have a good heart. I just going to tell you this morning, that's not true. A person's fruit is not going to be any better than the condition of their heart. That person has a heart problem. They need to repent. 
And I tell you this morning, you don't fix fruit. You don't fix bad fruit or no fruit. You cannot fix it by dealing with the fruit. No farmer ever has tried to fix bad fruit by operating on the fruit. God doesn't do that. We must deal with the heart. The parable that we read, one more year to dig about it and dung about it. That, you know what that's doing? Dig about it and dung about it. That's dealing with roots. That's dealing with the heart. That's not dealing with the fruit. But it's, it's how you work on the fruit. You dig about it and dung it. That's dealing with the heart, the roots. And if that doesn't work, nothing will. Jesus said, first cleanse the inside of the cup, that the outside may be clean also. So the first thing we do is clean the inside of the cup. But there's something we do even before that. You know what it is? You look at the outside. <laughs> you see the outside is dirty. And Jesus says, first clean the inside. This is how you work on fruit. That the outside may be clean also. <clears throat> we deal with the heart. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. That's the burden that we had last night. Doesn't that just tie in? Doesn't that just explain those hearts that were up here? Those divided hearts? I mean, they, they manifest things on the outside. That's what we were talking about. I, I couldn't believe some of the things that came out of those lives. Well, that's all that could come out because there was a divided heart. That's the burden that God has. That's why when God chooses someone, He doesn't just say, okay, you, bear fruit. No, he chose us and ordained us. I mean, there was just an outpouring of his grace upon us. There's provision made. I mean, we can be born again. We can be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. We can be filled with all the fullness of God. We can bear fruit in any situation. That's our calling, brothers. <clears throat> now, I want to just move on quick here. What is the fruit that God is looking for? You know, this has long been discussed. And I'm going to give you what I believe is a very simple answer. But I believe it's very close to the heart of God. <clears throat> when you are a child of God, when you are in Christ, you're in the vine, you're abiding in Him. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, when you're filled with all the fullness of God... The fruit God is looking for when you're filled with the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit. That's just what it is. That's why it's called that. It's the fruit of the Spirit. And it has a very practical application. And I know this will work itself out in many ways in different situations, but it's the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit God is looking for is not successful in business. The fruit God is looking for is not to look young when you're old. Much of America pours billions of dollars into both of those things. And the Lord walks right past all of it. He wants the fruit of the Spirit. It's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. 
meekness, temperance, in a practical life. Everyday life, God wants to see those things. He, he's not looking for anger. He's not looking for reaction. He's not looking for pride. He's looking for the gentle things that we wrote up here on the board the other day. That, that's fruit. We wrote love up here, if you remember. We wrote those things that have the practical application of the fruit of the Spirit. And it's when that love, that fruit, works itself out in our marriages and in our relationships, you know, our church fellowships, at the workplace, our witness, when it reaches our enemies. It's when that love works itself out in forgiveness. You know, and, and we want to bear fruit like God bears fruit. In other words, we want to forgive like God forgives. You know, and how does God forgive? God doesn't just forgive and say, okay, I forgive you. That's not what he does. You know what God does? God says, I forgive you. And then he wants to build a sweet relationship with you. He wants to walk with you. That's a marvel of the grace of God that God would do that. Not only forgive us, but want to have a sweet relationship with us to walk together. Even in hard situations, may we be faithful to bear this kind of fruit. You know, if we're in a hard situation and anger and reaction comes out of it, and the Lord walks up to us looking for fruit. That's no fruit. For one year. Comes back next year. It's getting worse. No fruit. I just want to remind us there's a point of judgment. We've been chosen and ordained. We've been made provision for us to bear fruit. And there's a point. Where God is going to say, cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And it's so beautiful when someone intercedes and pleads on our behalf, give it another year. But the plea there, brothers and sisters, is just for another year. And many times when we're dug about and dunged, we don't take to it too kindly. And it's nothing but the mercy of God upon us. If we have no long suffering, if we can't suffer long, if we feel some revenge from it, that's no fruit. And faith, if our faith is weak, if we have no burden for the lost, when the trials of life hit, if we're not gentle, if we're not meek, <clears throat> if we react in bitterness, that's no fruit. If we turn and walk away when the trials come, that's no fruit. If we leave home when dad doesn't understand, that's no fruit. That's just a situation. We are called to bear fruit. Let's build these relationships. I believe it's the calling of God upon us. And I believe that God has made provision for us that our joy may be full. God wants it for every one of us. I know that He does. <clears throat> and when God chooses to dig about us and dung us, I tell you what it is. It's just a call to repentance. 
Is it not? It's beautiful. It, it's a refiner's fire. It's to produce fruit. Hebrews chapter 12 speaks of chastisement. Speaks of this digging about and dunging. I'm putting that in there myself. It's chastisement. But it says in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 10, talking about this chastisement, God does that to us. He says, for our profit. That we might be partakers of his holiness. He does it for our profit. That we might be partakers of his holiness. Isn't that a merciful God? <clears throat> Romans says, having become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness, and the end everlasting life. Now I want to tell us something. <clears throat> the kingdom of God is a seed planting kingdom. That's always been an encouragement to me in the garden. You know, in the spring we plant the seeds and there's just something so inspiring about that. But the kingdom of God is a seed planting kingdom. We plant seeds in witnessing. We don't know where they're going to come up, but we know that God is going to water them. And he may use someone else to fertilize them. That's okay. Paul said that himself. He said, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase in the very parable of the sower that Jesus gave. It's a seed planting parable. That's, that's what Jesus said, and the seed is the good word of God. The kingdom of God is a seed-planting kingdom. But I want to challenge you this morning, where do seeds come from? Where do we get the seeds to plant? I believe right here is a place where the natural can teach us something about the spiritual. I tell you, seeds are always in the fruit. It's fruit that bears the seeds. Think about a garden. Think about a watermelon. Where are the seeds? They're in the fruit. Think about a flower that blooms. Where are the seeds? They're in the fruit of the flower. Where's the seeds of an apple? They're in the apple. Where's the seeds of an orange? They're in the orange. Where's the seeds of a potato? They're in the potato. Where's the seeds of a squash? They're in the squash. The seeds are always in the fruit. And I tell you tonight, this morning, if we don't bear fruit, if our lives don't bear fruit, we limit the seed planting in the kingdom of God. I remember we were harvesting that prolific squash. Praise the Lord there, the way it produces in the garden. And we couldn't use it all. And I remember I took one, <clears throat> just tossed it off to the side where the ground was a little hard. It was so hard it was cracking, you know, and hard and cracked soil and threw it over there and uh, forgot about it. And uh, next spring we were uh, working the soil and planting the garden. And uh, <clears throat> a few days later I look over there where I'd tossed that squash. And here comes these old squash plants. Those seeds came out of that fruit and they just came up to the glory of God. I believe when we yield ourselves to the God of heaven to bear fruit in our marriages, in our homes, in our churches, there's going to be beautiful little seedlings come up to the glory of God. <clears throat> Sometimes we're so busy guarding our liberty 
and making sure we have room to do the things that we want to do and establish our doctrines that we forget about what kind of fruit we're bearing. When we're not satisfied with too many things around us, it affects our fruit. A dissatisfied heart rarely produces rich fruit. And I just want to come back to where we began. Brothers and sisters and youth, you are a favored fig tree. If anyone on this earth was a favored fig tree, it is us. Each one of us. We've been blessed in every way. Are we thankful enough? Thankfulness is fertilizer. It just produces fruit. I read a story about a family that moved west years ago, back when the pioneers were moving west. And they moved out there, and they lived in a little 12 by 16 sod house out there in the west somewhere. Had a dirt floor. Lived there. Was two children, a father and a mother, four of them. Father and a mother and two children, a little 12 by 16 sod house out there, dirt floor. And, and they worked hard. And the day came when they, could, they, they, they were able to put in a wood floor. And they were so excited. I mean, they got that wood floor in there. And that family, I mean, they, they actually started to dance. I mean, the children ran from one side of the little building to the other. And then they clapped their hands and jumped and, and then run across this wood floor and hear that thing under their feet. And, you know, the dad grabs mom's arm and they kind of swing around a little bit. And then all of a sudden the mother began to cry. And the father said, let's just pray. And they just thanked the God of heaven for this wood floor. That they had. Think of it. I doubt if any one of us here would even thank the Lord for the floor that those four people rejoiced in. We are a favored fig tree. <clears throat> God has chosen us. He's called us. He has blessed us. He has fertilized us. <clears throat> May we, yield, may we yield ourselves to Him, for He is worthy. Remember, God in Hosea, from me is thy fruit found, chosen and ordained to bring forth fruit. May we be faithful. God bless you.